much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore, And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you were listening to episode 56 Of Horror Business Horror have you found that since we watched Horror Noir that you've noticed how you and other people say the word horror? I say it fucked up. How do you say it? Horror. How did, what's her name from the craft say it? Horror? I think she said Hara. Hara? Yeah. I was I was hanging out with some students, a long time ago the podcast, though I used to work at Lafayette. I was hanging out with some students who I knew when I worked at Lafayette, and I was a person with a future. And um, we were talking about something, and, and horror movies came up, and she was like, horror movies. And I was like, what, what was that? Horror movies with my chowder. I don't think it's Boston. I think it's New York. Fine. Horror movies with my pastramis from down on uh, Fifth Avenue. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I don't think accents are your best work. Nothing is my best work. That's a lie, and you know it. Hey, so, you're listening to Harvest. <laughs> so on today's episode, we're doing a creature feature of sorts. We're going to be discussing uh, two films involving creatures. Ooh. 1983's Jackie Kong movie, The Being. Oh, right. We watched that. Yes. And then 1992's Action Crime Horror, and I'll say this for once and have it actually be accurate, neo-noir thriller, Split Second. Do you say neo noir a lot and it's not true? Uh, that's my go to to throw it out when I want to piss people off and sound fancy. Is to say something's a neo. So, I mean, well, here's the thing. Whenever I hear anyone say neo noir, they're talking about Blade Runner or yes. something that reminds them of Blade Runner. Yes. And I just get the feeling that not every neo noir needs to be set in, a, in the future, right? Like, no, Mulholland Drive is a neo noir film. Is that right? I think so. What about Brick? I've never seen Brick. Yo. Take a note. Note taken. See Brick. Brick. It's really good. Okay. And it's, uh, I think it's, it, it, it more than anything else he's been in justifies the existence of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay, I can fuck with that. Just because, like, people talk about him as being really great a lot, and then when I think about some of the movies he's in, I'm like, yeah, but that one was bad. He's done some bad movies. He's done some bad, even though I don't necessarily think that means he's bad in those movies. No. He's done some movies which are, in fact... Yes, bad movies. terrible movies. So, before we go any further, this episode is brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Hey, thanks. Thank you so much, and I swear to the God I believe abandoned me as a child that we will soon have Patreon-exclusive content. Yeah, we gotta plan that. We man. really have to. We have to get, like, together. The, you know, our idea is, rather than just recording some extra harvest and stuff which i mean we'll do at some point but it's not our main go-to for patreon it's more like getting the folks together sort of mixing and matching cinepunks people to like chat about a variety of things that you don't hear us talk about all the time like you know you hear me and just talk about horror a lot but you don't hear us talk about romantic you know, comedies yeah or music or comic books or uh, where you should eat if you're vegan in the Lehigh Valley. Yes. That could be a thing. White Castle, if you're wondering. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. The worst part of that is knowing that that's not really a joke. I wasn't it's kidding. It's kind of a joke, but it's yeah, kind of not It's not, not even kind of a joke. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> 
So thank you so much if you've subscribed to us on Patreon. If you are interested, you can go to the website, cinepunks.com. There's information all over the place about how to subscribe to Patreon. I mean, I think the Patreon is just patreon.com backslash cinepunks. There's that, too. So any little bit helps. And thank you if you have subscribed or if you think are thinking of subscribing. Thank you 50%. We'll thank you the other 50% when you actually do subscribe. There'll be some cool stuff coming your way. Yeah. I promise you. I mean, thanks to you just for listening, but extra yeah. thanks to you if you subscribe. Because yeah. th- that's putting your putting your money where your ear holes mm-hmm. is. Ear, ear holes is. This episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the Lehigh, greater Lehigh Valley area, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, if I said to you... Yeah. I really, 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 really need to get basketball jerseys made for my Carrot Top Appreciation Society. No. That meets every third Saturday under the full moon. Yeah. Where would you send me? I actually wouldn't send you the LVAC because you should really have those embroidered, but... Okay. In theory, I would send you the LVAC so they could screen print them for you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So, if you are some weirdo who fucking stalks the land under the moonlight. Yeah. Fantasizing about Carrot Top in his new swole form, and you want to get shirts to show the world that you love Carrot Top, I am literally begging you, please take that bullshit to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Drop it in Chris Reject's lap. That's true. And get it made. Make that shit happen. Yeah, like, uh, let's say you are part of a D&D group and you have a really bad, bordering on offensive pun as the name of your D&D group. Like what? Um, Rolling with the homies? Oh, my God. Uh, sugar and dice? There you go. Whatever it is. And it, and let's say you've got a logo to go with it, and it's complicated. It's, like, unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. Please take that to LVAC. Mm-hmm. Do it. And we say that both for their... Uh, economic well-being and to bring them headaches and annoyance. Both, Their emotional both those, detriment. Both of those things would make us happy. Yes. So if any of this has intrigued you, you know, piqued your interest, you can go to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Do not, under any circumstances, let those X's fool you. Chris Reject is not, never was, and never will be anything in the same fucking galaxy. A straight edge. Be sure to enter the promo code Chris Reject is not straight edge. Yes, in the upper right hand corner. There's no promo code. Now you could put it in your email that when you email them for prices. You say, could do that. That's not by, a promo code. That's by the way, yeah. I hear that Chris Reject is not straight edge. And they'll probably give you like a chunk off. Yeah. They probably I mean, sure, why wouldn't they? <laughs> now comes the time in the podcast when I ask the question that has echoed out across the sands of time from the future. From the past, from <laughs> within and from without. Jesus Christ. Liam. Yeah. What have you done recently involving horror movies? <sighs> this is my least favorite part of the podcast. I agree. However, I finished a movie today just knowing that this was coming up. What movie was that? A movie called The Hole in the Ground. I think it's called The Whoa, Hole in the Ground. You saw that? Yeah. Where'd you see it? I got oh, Oh, I got it. But You got it. Okay. Don't say anything else. You have it. Good? I, I have it. Good. So, well, okay. I think opening statement, I should say, it's good. Yes. It's creepy. Kid is creepy. 
there's a little bit, there's a slight tinge of bloom housiness in the sense of like, there's some times when the, the kid is not the kid, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's, that's, it's just where we're at. That, yeah, exactly. That's, so it you, doesn't detract whatever. I will say, just on a personal level, because, you know, this is what we do in this show. We don't just, you know, whatever. We, we, we inject a little bit of ourselves. I might be over this whole trend of um, kids feeling alienated from our kids. Okay. So in, in that way, I mean, I think plot-wise, you couldn't say this movie's related to, like, the Babadook. But I think when you talk about what fears are we tapping into... A chunk of the movie is like Baba Duke esque. I got gotcha. you. It's like she knows something's wrong. I mean, it turns out the Baba Duke something's wrong with her and not with the kid. But yes, the point is, is that in this movie, she knows something is wrong, but she doesn't know how to express it, especially because the societal, you know, it's to some extent these movies, and there's a few of them that are kind of similar to this. There's this idea that like you are obligated to love your child even when they feel like a alien monster who lives in your house. Okay. And so she can't tell people, like, that's not my kid. That's something a crazy person says. A crazy person says, that's not my kid. Um, I also don't love the whole dementia or I don't love the whole Alzheimer's as a way to make someone scary. You know, so it's like so. That's another horror trope, like another, like a, like a variation of like the mystical. But here's the difference, though: the mystical autistic child is not real. Okay. The scary Alzheimer's person, I get it. It can be very real. I've it's seen not, it. It's not always true. Yeah, there are plenty of Alzheimer's fo- people who are struggling with Alzheimer's or who have Alzheimer's who are, you know, it's still upsetting, but it's not scary. Yes. So I don't want to completely throw it out the door. It's just I don't it, I don't find it offensive the way that I find the the mystical autistic. If you're writing a script right now or a short story, and you have an autistic child in the story, they shouldn't have abilities. Even if you're like, well, I know one autistic kid, and he's really good at math. He can teleport like Nightcrawler. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's <laughs> the point. I mean, we've seen movies where they're communing with demons. And yeah, they're like stuff. fucking necromancers. <laughs> it doesn't. I can't. I can't deal with that. Uh, so. In other words, what I'm saying is, I think I get it. Alzheimer's can be scary, so it's it's not offensive. It's just starting to become overused. I and got in you. this film, it's done in a way that's fine, but it was just kind of like, okay, here we go, this again. That being said, when the kid starts acting creepy, those moments are very effective. And what this movie does that other movies don't do is like, I'm going to fuck this kid up. <laughs> You know, a lot of movies, it's once it's clear the kid is a danger, whether that kid is a real kid or a scary demon child. Adults are always kind of like, well, I don't know what to do. What can I possibly do right now? I we talked about this before. Gregory but. Peck tried to kill his kids, so. Yeah, okay. Good ex- yeah. good example. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this movie's unaf- She's Once she's sure that she's right, she's not like, well, I guess I'll just let bad things happen because it's my kid. What can I do? She's just kind of like. I'm gonna get this fucking kid. You know, and I, I I like that she decides that. Now, of course, they could play that in the other direction where it's like turns out the kid's fine and you're just a crazy person. But um I don't know. I thought it was effective. I really like the atmosphere. Like I said, I just don't this kind of I, I'm fine with this movie and I and I enjoyed it. I don't think the next one where it's like another parent who's alienated from their child, I'm just well I'm probably gonna skip it. Because it's just it's becoming a thing. 
and I'm I'm just getting kind of tired of it, especially when I feel like one of the first ones I saw was the Babadook, and I felt like Babadook pretty much covered all the emotions involved well, in that. No, you, know? no, you had like there was that period of time where it was like there was all these movies that were coming out that were all about I don't know the name of the actual um, psychological disorder. I want to say imposter syndrome, but that's not it. That were centered upon this idea that people in families were having these delusions that the pe- other people in their families were not who they claimed to be. Oh, you know, sure, like, Goodbye, sure. mommy. Here yeah. comes the devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, the prodigy that just came out. Uh, shit like that where it's like you have all these these movies and not saying that they're necessarily bad movies, but it seems like this idea that you know, someone that you know and you love and is close to you is all of a sudden a complete stranger. That is a terrifying idea, but it seems like at yeah. this point it's sort of beat to the ground. Yeah, I just, uh, I feel like this movie did it pretty well and, and the way, I'm not going to obviously spoil the movie that most people haven't got to see yet, but um, the way that things sort of play out I think was more interesting and creative than, like all I needed was the trailer for the Prodigy, and I'm like, that's not a thing I want. Well, it was actually apparently pretty good. Really? Yeah. The trailer made it look like a thing. Uh, uh, I no don't doubt, no watch. doubt. And every person I talked to who was like, "You should really check this movie out," said like, "The trailer doesn't do this movie justice." Mm. Well, regardless, I thought this was good, and and you know, take that with knowing my bias that like, an atmospheric movie, it's got a couple of brutal moments, but for the most part, there's no like. The kid doesn't go on a murder spree. Okay. The kid very much wants people to believe that he's the kid. Yeah. But the movie makes it pretty clear pretty quickly that she's right and everyone else is wrong. This is not her kid. Gotcha. Like, it's not... I'm not, I'm not ruining a mystery for you there. It's, it's really an issue of what she's going to do about it uh, and how she's going to deal with the fact that, you know, people are going to want her to treat this thing like it's her kid. You know yeah. What I mean, so... um, But so it's not like he's he's out there killing lots of folks or something like that. Uh, but something that is creepy and atmospheric, the way that this plays out, where it's kind of like, what is going to happen? Really... I mean, it helps they've moved into an old house. They're all Irish, so just being in Ireland Ooh, is scary. There you go. You're in Ireland. In the They live in the woods in Ireland. <laughs> right there. That alone. The and water they're... kelpies alone would, would, would drive you to madness. <laughs> I, well, the whole time I'm thinking, I wonder if he was taken by a leprechaun. Yeah. Which sounds cute. Nope. Even when you think of Warwick Davis, that's cute compared Stop to what? right there. I want to sleep tonight. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but as far as heart goes, that's about it. I've had to watch a lot of things lately and I've, I've uh, for podcasts. Uh, and, of course, I managed to get out and catch Captain Marvel, which was cool. But specifically horror things, that was about it. I had to skip the uh, Exhumed event that happened recently. I had to skip the first Saturday horror series up near mm. us. So haven't really gotten to do as much as I would like. Um I'm hoping soon to uh there's a there's some horror series that people are talking about lately that I have not gotten to start. So. Captive State comes out this weekend if you're interested if you want to go I don't know if that's a horror movie but hey I don't I bet it isn't but I still kinda want to yeah. see it. And Us comes out next week so I'm very excited for yes. us. The the reports coming out of South by Southwest have me entirely stoked. Mm-hmm. So, but that's it. So horror. Um, we'll just get the obvious out of the way first. This past week, and I attended Monster Mania. Oh yeah, I how met, was Monster Mania? I met Meatloaf. I told him to his face that as a child, I thought I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. It was about him not wanting to turn his girlfriend into a vampire. 
Oh my gosh. So that was pretty fun. I thought it was about anal sex. That's what everyone fucking said. That's what everybody said. I don't know what it's about. I didn't ask him. I just told him what I felt. He he shook my hand. He said it was very special. And he said that was that was for me. And I was like, thank you, Mr. Loaf. I also met Rachel True. She was a doll to talk to. She's awesome. Um, other horror adjacent stuff. I started reading a few comic books that are horror adjacent. The the comic series Black Hammer off Dark Horse. I haven't read it yet, but I hear it's really good. Very, very good things. The fine folks at Atomic City Comics recommended that. They also recommended the book Taliban by... Uh, oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Uh, Garth Ennis. Yes. So that is so far so good. Um, mo- as for movies I saw, I watched a little movie last night called uh, I Think We're Alone Now. Is that a horror movie? Vaguely. It was like marketed as one, but when I watched it, I was like, this is like... Yeah, that's not really... It's not. Like, it's sort of like the horror of other people, but not really. Right. Uh, then I watched The Possession of Hannah, or The Exorcism of Hannah Grace, or whatever. Ugh. Um, had a lot of potential. Not gonna lie, the idea, like the basic plot was actually like quite cool. Yeah. And some of the imagery was interesting. Yeah. But the second that they... Uh, deviated from what could have been an interesting story, which was basically autopsy of Jane Doe. Like this, yeah, like sort of person is like sure, this, like MacGuffin sure. in the center of it. Like if they had just stayed there, it would have just been a rehash of that. Yeah. And the second that the corpse came alive, which spoiler alert, it stopped being scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was a few. Uh, I, I try to when I watch stuff like this, I try to like you know well at least there's that. Like at least we have that going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There was a few interesting like cinem- cinema cinema cinematographic cinematography 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 choices that i was like i didn't expect that in a movie like this like a lot of like Mm. really spooky tracking shots that made you feel like voyeuristic and all that sure but overall it it was just it was exactly what you expected yeah and then this isn't exactly hard but i watched the movie lords of chaos oh you did how was it yes i'm like i can't make up my mind about it I mean, I heard it's a tonal mess. It, it That's a good way to put it. Yeah. On one hand, some of the performances are amazing. Um, sure. I believe it's not Kieran Culkin, not Macaulay Culkin, Rory Culkin. Oh, yeah. I forgot a Culkin. Rory Culkin, Culkin is yeah, in this. Rory Culkin plays Euronymous for Mayhem. He is phenomenal. Sure. Um, he, a lot of his like choices when it comes to portraying the emotions that this guy may or may not have gone through he does a good job of of humanizing him in a way that was both actually humanizing, like, oh, this guy wasn't, like, this, like, evil dude. Sure. He was just a silly kid. But the thing I like most about the movie was that it made you realize all these dudes were fucking kids. Yeah, children. They were children. And not only that, but they were insufferable fucking nerds. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, for like, like you see, like, y- you know, when, when I was, like, growing up and reading, like, The Sound of the Beast and, like, reading, like, Metal Edge, you'd see these pictures of them, like, at parties and, like, corpse paint, like, standing before, like, mayhem spray pulling on a concrete wall. And then you see what they're actually like, and you're like, these guys are all fucking nerds. Right. It's, it's so insane. Um, I kind of made that decision after seeing. I, I'm sure you've seen that um, documentary, um, "Until the Light Takes Us." I haven't, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. See, uh, you should. That that's when I knew because they, you know, they talked to the fucking Burzum guy. They yeah. Talked to uh, the other dude. Who's the other dude? I believe it's uh, Fenris from Yes, yes, Dark yes, 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 and a, and a few other people, and just a few minutes with these 
jagoffs. I'm like, oh. Well, that's the, the, the thing is, is it, another thing I really liked about it was that it showed that most of these guys, they weren't like, the hell, fate and evil. Like when shit actually hit the fan and bad stuff started happening, a lot of these guys were like, we can't keep doing this. Like, this is like actually wrong. Right. Um, this isn't a spoiler. When Dead for Mayhem like blows his brains out, and Euronymous is like, uh, "What do I do? Like, this is a good like publicity stunt, but he was my friend. Uh, I'm gonna use it as a publicity stunt." The bass player of Mayhem was like, "You're a fucking asshole. Like, this guy was our friend, and you're gonna like this is wrong. I'm quitting the band." And I think that did a good job of injecting a sense of like humility into it. Um, it was a tonal mess. I'm not gonna even try to pick that apart. Yeah. Um. Dead suicide and Dead was played by Jack Kilmer, who's Val Kilmer's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was almost unbearable to watch, and I don't mean like unbearable, like this is fucking awful. I mean like it was, it was rough to watch. I, I mean right. it, it, because it wasn't just like, well, I want to die now, and it's boom, he's dead. It's this prolonged, dragged out affair where, um, he doesn't quite succeed when he first tries, and right. it's really tough to watch. And then, um. Varg Vickner's stabbing Euronymous at the end was like very hard to watch. Yeah. Because Rory Culkin is a very good actor. Uh, but my favorite thing about it was I suspect the actor who played Varg Vickner, Varg Vickerns, he was either the worst actor I've ever seen or uh, who was it? Uh, Jonas Aukerland who directed this? Yeah. Was specifically like be as flat as possible and be as fucking insufferable as possible because fuck Varg Vickerns because he knows that guy like you know yeah. Jonas Ockerlund is from like the black metal scene yeah. so I, I if it was like if it was bad acting fuck him but if it was deliberately bad acting just because he knew Varg would see this and be like that's not how it actually was I kind of hope it was like that and I sort of hope that he did that specifically to piss off Varg sure. so if that's the case it's an amazing movie right um but yeah, by and large, it was watchable. It was fine. I don't feel like I wasted my time, but it was. It couldn't make up its mind if it was like, do we want to make a quasi Christopher Guest movie, or do we want to make Spinal Tap? Do we want to tell an actual story? It's all over the place. I mean, they should have gone for Spinal Tap. Yeah, I mean, it's bad. that movie's great. But I mean, it's hard to make a movie like Spinal Tap that involves yeah someone blowing their head off. A, right. a homosexual man getting stabbed to death and then another guy getting stabbed to death. It's sort of... <sighs> Can't do those things in a Christopher Guest movie. Yeah. Unless there's like a uh, unless there's a cut of like a mighty wind floating around that like ends very badly for the folksmen. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I've really done recently. Um I guess we could take a break and then when we come back we can talk about 1983's The Being... The being based off of, of course, uh, Jean Paul Sartre. Of course, yes. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, I forget how they kill the monster in this movie. <laughs> I was like racking my brain on the wire right home from work. Like, how do they fucking beat the monster? How do they beat the monster in this movie? It's not important. We'll, 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 we'll get there. <laughs> we'll be right back. Bye. In the distance, the town of Pottsville, Idaho. Dr. Jones, isn't the dumping of radioactive waste into the aquifer contaminating our drinking water? Exactly what do you mean by contamination? A small town, not much different from any other Main Street USA. This is the kind of contamination we really have to worry about. 
It's everybody's responsibility to keep pornography out of this state. Strange and unexplained events are occurring. You say your friend was pulled out of the car by some guy in a monster What in the hell is this stuff? Some people are missing. Well, the only explanation I have is it's some sort of genetic freak. But why is it so intelligent? It's conceivable it can use a higher percentage of its brain. And at the same time, be completely psychotic. The ultimate terror has taken form. And Pottsville, Idaho will never be the same. conclude that dumping nuclear waste into the aquifer does not and will not affect the water. And we are back to talk about 1983's The Being, written and directed by Jackie Kong, our business favorite, starring Martin Landau, Marion Gordon, and Bill Osco. Osco, Osco, Osco. Probably also worth also mentioning Jose Ferrer, Dorothy Malone, and, Bill Osco, and Osco, Ru- and Ruth Buzzy, as uh, those folks were all Oscar winners, but they're not Bill Osco. Well, and also technically, Bill Osco is not in the movie, but Rex Coltrane. I'm sorry, is. I'm sorry, Rex Coltrane. <laughs> That's Rex with two X's, by the way, in case you want to find out. So let's just fucking let's not even beat around the bush. Let's just say this right up front: this movie is not good. This is a film that, A, is a vanity project from Bill Osco. Bill yes. Osco was an accomplished director of both porn and sexploitation. Which yes. If you're unfamiliar, that might sound like the same thing. But basically, he made sexy movies. Some of them had real sex, and some of them had simulated sex. But that's what he did. He made sexy movies, and some of his sexy movies got a lot of attention, like Flesh Gordon. Uh, people actually saw that movie. And he made another film. The name escapes me now, but it's one of the few films that did this thing that a lot of films were trying to do at the time, which is you make a porn, but it has enough of a plot that you can release a cut R-rated version of the porn, Mm. and then you're courting... Because the idea was that there were two markets, right? There's the porn market where people are going to a theater and jagging off, and then there's like the normal theatrical market. And people are also going to the theater and jagging off. Very possibly. And a movie like, let's say, Deep Throat is, is... trying to court both markets but some porn producers had the idea that the way to do it was to have two versions of a film which people do now right you you could say that there was a director's cut and that was the porn mm-hmm. and then there was the theatrical version which is could get an r rating uh i think what you get with those movies though is less the idea that like it's so sexy as an r movie it's almost a porn and more like why does this porn have so much plot and dialogue before people start fucking? Would you call Bill Osco a pioneer? I think at the time, within certain circles, he actually was kind of considered, maybe not a pioneer, but at least an innovator, that he was doing something new. Uh, but by the time this movie comes out, this is uh, in the 80s. It's after all that stuff had kind of gone away, thanks to VHS. And uh, it's a ridiculous vanity project in which, you know, he 
has cast himself as the star. I mean, we you hear stories all the time in Hollywood of producers insisting that their significant others star in movies yeah. when they're not qualified. But he he cast himself and gave himself a fake name. You don't name yourself Rex Coltrane with two X's. With two X's because you have a rational view of your own abilities. And I will tell you this, y'all. I wanted to make sure we read the list of all these stars that are in this movie because this is a star-studded affair in which a guy is the main character in the movie. He does voiceover and he's on screen the whole movie and he's bad. He can't act for... And when I say he's bad, understand, in case you don't know, I host an Eric Roberts podcast <laughs> where I've seen many shitty straight-to-video movies that Eric Roberts has been in. And I'm not talking about Eric Roberts. I'm saying that other people in his movies, they're bad. And this dude gives one of the worst performances I've ever seen. It's it's so flat. It, it honestly... It's such a bad performance, I honestly truly believe it can hardly be called a performance at all. So when we're talking about this movie, that was just point number one. Point number one, shitty vanity project by porn guy in which he insists on acting. Point number two, this is a movie that started filming in 1980 mm-hmm. under the title Easter Sunday, in which apparently Easter Sunday was supposed to be an important part of whatever it is this movie's about. By the time it comes out in 1983... Three years later, in case your math is off. Uh, where they still had to film stuff over that time to like finish the fucking movie, it's called The Being. I swear to God there are people in this movie who have no idea what the end product of the movie... Like, they don't even know there is a being for which the film will be named. Like, there are people in this movie who I really feel like they thought they were in a movie about a small community on Easter Sunday. Like and had kid, no like, idea where this was going Like the kids in the Easter egg hunt? Yeah. Those children had no idea they were in a horror film. It's like there's an intro section that was clearly filmed later that has all this very awkward voiceover. Then, all of a sudden, once we've established that there is a gooey monster, suddenly... It's Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. and that whole part of the movie does not match the rest of the movie at all. And then we get into now we got to kill the monster, and there's a few like intense scenes. And you know, I, I will say there is some innovation in this movie in the idea that the you know this monster, it's um, it's a shapeshifter, uh, but not like the thing. Is it's that a, what you took away from this movie? Well, in the sense that like. Um, the thing doesn't turn into like mist. Like this thing is a shapeshifter that can be any substance. And so the at the drive-in, like the idea that the thing that the the thing the being is coming out of the vents while these two people are boinking and and killing them that way. That idea is of actually a fucking great idea. Yeah, I just thought that was shitty. Like I I didn't think that was an actual plot point. I just thought that was like. Yeah, there should just be like slime and shit coming out of the vents, and then no, it just no, no, never no, no, wrapped up. No, 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 no. It's very clear that this thing is a shapeshifter. What is not clear is that anyone is in charge of special effects on this movie in any way that executes. I, I will say, I think the once the creature, which by the way, why is a shapeshifter ever solid enough that you can? Heard it physically. We'll get to that to the end of the movie. Oh, I guess you've never watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine where they have Odo the shapeshifter. Oh, but that's whatever. We won't go there. The point is, when it's a solid creature with claws and stuff, it's it's not bad. I I kind of like it. I I kind of like it. I actually think the creature design in the in both seconds that we see it <laughs> uh, is actually quite effective. It's it's startling. It's it's very creepy. It's got this mouthful of like deep sea fish needle like fangs. 
and these freakishly realistic eyes. I think it has two eyes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's not important. Uh, but the problem is, is when you're making a monster movie, much like when you're making a werewolf movie, your movie is lives and dies only monster design. Right. And if you're gonna if you're gonna have a shitty monster design, you can do one of two things. You can either go the Spielbergian route and make a masterpiece like Jaws, where you make it more about the people fighting the monster than about the monster themselves, and do a bunch of cool shit. But I love Jackie Kong, but Steven Spielberg, she is not. Instead, instead of maybe going that route, there's all these like poorly executed shots where we see these silhouettes that clearly don't match up with what we see at the end. And then when we see the monster, we don't really see enough of it to actually be afraid. We just see its face close up as I think it's running down a hallway and glaring at people up on the roof. Or you could show it not a, like show it in shadows like James Cameron did with the aliens and aliens those they you have to recognize your limits when you're working with practical effects and i don't know if it was Jackie Kong i don't think it was because for all of its faults blood diner was a fun movie this wasn't even fun no i mean i i will i mean don't get me wrong i'm not invested in defending Jackie Kong per se even though i love blood diner but i'm inclined to say watching this movie i mean first of all the executive producer is on screen most of the film. So yes. you, you got to say, is this really, does she, what are the chances that she had any artistic freedom when one of the money men is in the movie just taking a shit? Like yeah. his performance, it's not that his performance is like well-intentioned, but not, my man sucks. And if there was any other producers on this movie and it wasn't just his movie, one of them should have had the the fucking foresight to go like, bro, you should not be. In this yeah, movie. hey Rex, get the fuck out of here. You're like you you suck. So that alone makes me think she probably didn't have that much control. There's also the fact that it's an editing nightmare. Like Jesus the way Christ. it's put together, it's it's uh, saying it's incoherent is not enough to explain to you the fucking disaster this movie is. And again, Blood Diner is a messy not virtuistic movie per se, but it's put together. You know what I mean? Like It's a competent film. Well, And you could make the argument, this is her first movie. So maybe, I don't know, she needed to get her feet wet. But what what this feels like is, I, I think she had done a lot of commercials and stuff. And I think this was like, this, you know, Bill Osco, Rex Coltrane, as he insisted on being called. Uh, this is his thing. And he just needed someone to make sure the cameras were where they needed to be. Yeah. And so this is just, it's a director for hire thing. Um, I think I read on IMDb that she tried to like make changes to the script that they changed later or something like that. So I just, you know, I don't think this is like, oh, Jackie Gunn shit the bed. This is like a mess from beginning to end. Yeah. This is, this is, there are no, there is no blood on Jackie Kong's hand. This is all, we are witnessing the sins of Bill Osco projected onto the screen. Um, including, but not limited to, a weird dream sequence that does not come again in the movie. Like, typically when someone has a dream in a movie, like a horror movie, you're like, oh, that's going to play out later. You know, like when someone has a... I'm trying to think of a movie where there's a dream in a horror movie, like some kind of nightmare on a street. I can't really quite think of anything right now. Yeah, well, there's this dream sequence... You know, someone... This is not a fact, but someone... Uh, you know, conjecture on IMDb that uh, the dream sequence, I think it was on IMDb, it might have been in the um, Wikipedia. Or no, I saw it on Letterboxd. Someone's conjecture was that the dream sequence was the original ending of the film. And yeah. And they just made a different ending for some reason. Honestly, that makes sense. He, My man just has a dream 
about fighting the monster in a plane with Martin Landau for no reason. Yeah. And then we just move on. Like, that didn't happen. It really felt like they were just like, look, we shot this footage. It has to be in the movie. We got to pad the movie or it's not going to be long enough. Like, the, the, you know what I mean? Like, I swear to God, this is a movie that they definitely padded. Hold on. Let's look at the actual runtime of this film. Yeah, it's an hour and 22 minutes. I guarantee that fucking four and a half minutes dream <laughs> sequence. They needed it to, like, we got to go. We got to be over an hour 20. We yeah. got it. We have to fucking go over an hour 20. We need this dream sequence. Just make it in black and white. Just make it in black and white, and we'll leave it in the film. We'll just put it as a dream sequence. It doesn't make It's completely irrational. And, by the way, would be a better ending to the movie than what we got. Yeah, it, the idea that they're up in the air in this plane and the aliens with them, and they're trying to get the alien off the plane, like that makes a lot more sense than we're in a dark factory and we're just going to chop it with an axe. After after gassing it with sulfuric acid, throwing sulfuric acid on it, on it, shining a flashlight on it, which causes it distress for some reason, and then hacking it with an axe, which makes it explode. And all, by the way, all of that takes place after a chase scene through this crowded warehouse that felt like it took years. I mean, this thing has... A, it also doesn't make any sense because the idea here is that the thing is it can change shapes, as we've said. You've said. I'm not convinced. It's a shapeshifter. I know for a fact it's a shapeshifter. But here's the problem. No one's really thought that through. So in one moment, the thing... I keep saying the thing, but the creature, the being... The being is oozing through vents mm-hmm. and then reforming itself in the cabin. Okay. Then in another scene, it's just on top of a car ripping the roof off, roof off the car. Yes. There's no consistency to what this thing does, how it acts, or why it's doing these things. No. I really feel like they just... I, I would put money down that the original script for Easter Sunday <laughs> had some other thing going on. Like a slasher. Yeah, maybe it was a slasher. That would make more sense. It would make a lot more sense than this thing that, like, we... Oh, and by the way, we haven't pointed out that we never get a definitive origin for this creature. No, what is it? Uh, no, nobody I knows what it is. I think it's tied to nuclear testing. Or not nuclear testing, like, nuclear dumping. Because isn't, like, Martin Landau, he's, like, a... Like a, like a a fucking guy who... What do they call him? Like, he's a tester. Like a new, He's like, oh, I gotta go out there and see if this is safe. And uh, he go oh because there's an aquifer that's being contaminated, and he camps out at the night the night at the site to prove that it's safe, and somehow the creature is tied in with that. But you know, give us like a Geiger counter going off when this thing around. Give us like do what they do with Godzilla, where like oh there's this giant footprint and our Geiger counter's going off, and there's radiation everywhere. This is just like oh there's fucking green slime all over the place, and it's it's icky and spooky. And also, there's a radiation dump on the edge of town. It has to be that. It, it, and, and and to be clear, I don't even really necessarily need a specific explained origin story. But in a movie this shitty, I I kind of I kind of do. I kind of need that because nothing else makes sense, and at least one thing has to make sense in this movie. Uh, th- there is a moment where Jones says it's it's a radioactive mutant. Oh, and and reveals a lot of stuff about it. That they, he couldn't possibly know. <laughs> it's intelligent, but completely psychotic. Oh, you had time to give it a psych test? Before? Yeah, where, where where is it on the hair scale? Is it a perfect 20, you fucking idiot? <laughs> um, 
The whole thing is so ridiculous. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, the idea here is the movie also is, a, I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing because it's barely held together. There are a bunch of very famous people in the movie who seem like they don't know what movie they're in or what they're meant to be doing. There are moments that are uh, almost like romantic comedy-esque, all of which with fucking this guy sucking, not oh. being able to act. doesn't matter what any of the other characters are throwing at him. He can't pick it up. No. He just cannot. And then all of a sudden it takes this heavy-handed turn into like, pollution is destroying the earth and whatever. And there's a, literally a moment, y'all, there's literally a moment where they're talking about the nuclear sites and the radioactivity and fucking Martin Landau has the this the fucking uh, great burden of saying that there are seventy five thousand of these nuclear dump sites yeah. across America. Seventy five thousand, y'all, y'all. I looked it up. How many high schools are there? there are I like- looked it up. There are only fifty thousand high schools in the whole country, and we're meant to believe that there are twenty five thousand more nuclear, nuclear dump sites. Look, I'm I'm as Against nuclear energy as anybody else, y'all. There are not seventy five. No, there, there's no way. There's maybe five. <laughs> there aren't. There aren't seventy five thousand trash dumps. No, let alone nuclear dumps. That was only said because they were like, "What's the biggest number we can think of? <laughs> seventy five thousand. That's a scary number because there's a being in each one of these things. The whole, yeah, the whole idea is that, that now they're going to have beings across whatever. And even after they chop this thing up, there's, of course, a fucking stinger. and the, With the hand. The, and, 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 oh, it's a bit of the being. There's no weight. Nothing happens that matters the whole goddamn movie. So the in a movie like that's that light and stupid, that's the worst. This has to be the worst movie. I mean, Martin Landau did some bad movies, but... Um, yeah, we did one without warning. Yeah, but there, there. This has to be the worst movie that has this many um, famous and Oscar-nominated actors in it. Yeah, it's it's so bad. I don't know who this guy killed to get all these famous people to show up on a set, but there are bodies buried in Robert Osco's basement. I guess so. It's it's. I'm sorry, Bill Osco. Bill. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I don't. I don't love having an episode where we just take a shit on a movie. But who man? Yeah, we just who took man? a shit. Who man? And I'd love to say I would actually also really love to say like if you saw this as part of a marathon with a bunch of people and you're all laughing at it, that it would be fun. I think that's true of the end, like the finale. Like if you could like walk out and come back and just watch the finale with friends and laugh at it, that could work. But the stuff leading up to it is just such a tedious mess. It's a slog to get through. It's just hard to justify. But, you know, even if you like bad things, I don't know if you would like this. I don't yeah. know. If you're one of our listeners who loves bad things, I that sounds like I'm busting on you. But if you're one of those people, you know I'm not busting on you. Some, for some people, they want total cheese. They yeah. want total just cornball, whatever. This is this is cheese to a metaphysical degree of certainty. So, if you are one of those people, I would love to hear from you. Can you watch this? Is this a watchable movie for you if you like bad movies? Because to me, this is not watchable. I mean, it's watchable in that we made it through, but I cannot imagine the circumstances. Even if I were to break edge and be stop, on stop. acid. Don't even say that. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't even imagine this being a movie for weedians. That's no. what's getting potted up on weed. And, like, no put marijuana nut would watch this movie. <laughs> Where marijuana nut. <laughs> Again, this is a movie that I honestly, I feel like, I feel like something was taken away from me. Well, and I also just feel like it's, it's a shame because, like I said, we appreciate what we have gotten to see from Jackie Kong, and I, and I feel like there's a really good chance that this happened to her movie, that she didn't, like, make this happen. No. You know? And granted, we weren't there. We don't know. But just the evidence I see before me is that this is a highly tampered with film, and what was put out into the world was bad. But looking at the history of the movie, I don't know if anyone saw this movie when it came out anyway. So <laughs> uh, at least it wasn't a lot of people had to suffer like, the way that we've we've had to suffer. Yes. We, we, we have shouldered the burden for the rest of you, and we are thankful for your thanks. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1992's Rudger Hauer vehicle, Split Second. Split Second. I unloaded a full clip, 450 Magnum, point blank. It disappeared. He can hear its heartbeat. Where did he go? He knows it's out there. Somebody must have seen something. He knows what it can do. You're telling me? There's something running around loose in this city, ripping the hearts out of people and eating them. Maybe he eats them for breakfast. Now it's really pissing him off. Foster! his new partner I work alone makes two paranoid people with guns are a menace to society you'd be paranoid too if you had a dipshit like this following you Stuck of nonos and serial homicide oh terrific it has no motive the only thing we know for sure is that he's not a vegetarian no! it has the DNA structure of all its victims it gives no warning ready to die but one thing's for certain we could get bigger guns it ain't no pushover Two, yeah. bingo we want to get to cannon street <laughs> no you don't yes we do boy are you pushing i wouldn't say this thing thinks it's safe I say it is Satan. Rat bastard! Satan is a deep shit. Get out of there! Ah. Five seconds! Okay, four, three, oh. two. Oh. 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 Rutger Hauer. Split second. Nice timing. Split second. And we are back to talk about 1992's crime horror neo noir action thriller, Split Second. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this is. Uh, I mean, did you find in your research? Is there a source material for this? Was this written for this movie, or is it come from something? I don't believe it's based on anything. I couldn't find anything on that. I swear to God, this is basically like an unofficial sequel to the heavy metal movie. <laughs> okay. But it's just one story. Every, if you are, I mean, I should let you do all the stuff about the movie, but my opening thesis is simply this. 
if you've ever read anything from heavy metal, this movie will resonate with you. This movie, the only thing that would make it more heavy metal, and again, I'm referring to Metal Herland, the comic, not like the musical genre. Uh, the only thing that would make it more heavy metal is if there was more unnecessary nudity in it. That's the only thing it's lacking from Fair heavy enough. metal. Everything else about it is so heavy metal. Okay, sorry. Say more about the movie. So the movie is about, it takes place in the far distant year of 2008, where climate change has ravaged the world. Wow, that seems unrealistic. Yeah, I know. That would never happen. Uh, Rudger Hauer plays Detective Stone, who was hunting a serial killer who had murdered his partner and has haunted him ever since. He has been driven to the depths of alcoholism and anxiety, and he soon discovers that what he is hunting might not be human. Now, I will tell you flat out what I like about this movie is that it is marketed as a straight-up sci-fi film. But the element of all the weird astrological shit and the weird religious shit, this makes this movie something very, very special. Okay, I mean, first of all, this movie is in a way that is not lame and not corny and it's not like the Billy Idol video. This movie is cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, yes. This movie could not be more cyberpunk. If you ever have someone who wasn't alive at this time period say to you, what even is cyberpunk? Show them this movie. Immediately show them this film. Because it is the combination of A, sci-fi, B, dystopianness, C, unnecessary leather and obsession. <laughs> There's so much unneed... Again, the reason I think of heavy metal is there's only a certain kind of comic book artist that's like, all right, so the future, oh, the future. Well, obviously in the future, everyone is wearing leather all the time, just for no reason. Uh, every club is a sex club. Yes. Even if it's just a normal club, it's a sex club. Uh, everyone is either an uptight, overeducated square or living in actual human filth, like is actually the depth of human filth. Yeah. Um, all guns are giant and just make huge explosions. Mm-hmm. Police just carry uh, Gatling guns. Small just, tanks. Yeah, just whatever. Uh, let's see, climate change, huh? Well, everything's wet because yeah. of climate change. And the villain, uh, I don't know. It's kind of just like a, a interdimensional creature, but maybe it's also Satan. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Sawyer, if you're listening to this, the creature in this movie is very much like a Raycosh from the Repairman Jack books. Hmm, interesting. That's exactly what it looks like when I, like the big long claws, the fucking shark teeth. It's all sleek and black. I mean, it looks like an alien. Yeah. But the film seems to suggest it's some sort of, uh, well, it acts, it looks like an alien. It acts like a serial killer, like in the realm of like 90s, like the 90s obsession with serial killers. It can use weapons because it fires a gun at his partner. Yeah. It has human tendencies, even though mm-hmm. it looks like an alien. And the then the film suggests it might be the devil. Yeah. Or a mutant. Or a mutant devil. Or at the very least, a lower level demon that has somehow... Well, what they established, the re- the science aspect of it is that it absorbs DNA. Yes. So it that's how it kind of tracks its victims a little bit. Like, at least the, the reason it's connected to this cop. And other, it's once it's bitten you or attacked you in any way, it has your DNA. Plus, it has a bunch of rat DNA as well, which is just gross. Yeah, rats are disgusting. So, okay. Rucker Hauer is this. Let's just talk about. This. So Rucker Hauer is playing a role that would be often considered like uh, in a neo noir, the like kind of hard nosed cop role. Yes, which is not my favorite thing. It's a trope at this point. But his version is literally 
a PTSD suffering psychopath, like yes. just a just a fucking brittle, crazy person who lives off of coffee and chocolate because he has so much anxiety that he doesn't want to like be off edge. Like he needs to like hype up his anxiety in order to deal with this this feeling he has, which is that this thing is coming back. And what's crazy is we meet him when this in theory he's killed it. Like they they're he's, like yeah. He thinks it's gone. He thinks the killer because he thinks it's human is gone. But he can't let it go and then it's back. And it's taunting him. There's this weird endearing fragility fragileness that he has throughout this movie like he's yeah. not he's like he's like he's tough in the sense that he's unpredictable and he's tough in the sense that he's like uh, persistent but he's not like a tough guy there's this no, sense of like all. vulnerability well, he's tough with other people like in that way what's funny okay so everything about this movie is kind of a caricature of itself like it's so everything is over the top yes and just turned up to 10 but the one bit of realism is the idea that someone who is this angry and mean to their coworkers is probably a victim of some sort of yes. trauma. Like he, yeah, he's super to, to his fellow cop. He's the toughest motherfucker. And then the minute he thinks this thing might be nearby, he's basically like a like a hyperventilating child. It's like a full blown panic attack. But he has a hand cannon, so the way he deals with his panic attack is just shooting, this blowing shit up, and screaming everywhere. at people. He's just so upset. It's so endearing, and it makes the movie. If he was just some tough ass dude, yeah, he's met his match, but he's so tough, he's gonna take it out. No, 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 no. My man is doing this thing because he can't let it go. He's obsessed. Yeah. And until he deals with this thing, he's never gonna be happy. Yeah. Until he sees the corpse of Rat Satan Monster. <laughs> He's never going to be happy. No, this movie could very well be like another run-of-the-mill wannabe Schwarzenegger vehicle. Sure, sure. But instead, it becomes this like a, a cautionary tale against working too hard. Did you say who else was in You said Rutger Hauer. Did you say who else was in this? Rutger Hauer, Tony Malame, Malam, who um, was also in not much else of note. Uh, the, he was in The Burning. There we go. Huh. And then uh, Alistair Duncan, I'm yeah. saving the best for last. Alistair Duncan, who was in nothing, a lot of voice acting, which is fine. And then last but not least, a little actor named Kim Cattrall. Is it Cattrall or Cattrall? I don't actually know. We'll say Cattrall. She's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a Sex in the City fan, but I, I like her film work, and I, and I can acknowledge that probably a lot of what she did on Sex in the City was really great. I just... I just missed it. It's not even like I'm not a fan because I've watched it and I've made a judgment. My judgment is it's not good. That's such a Samantha thing to say. Oh my god, <laughs> I just never, I just never watched it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really have much of a thing about it. But I think she's really great. Everything I've seen her in, I've enjoyed. I'm sure she's done some stuff that's not great, but what I've seen her in, I like. And then this movie, her role is not huge, but what she does with it is, I think, very good. In that she is the only source of light in Rucker Hauer's life. Yes. And it's complicated. She is the ex of his dead partner. Mm -hmm. But they've had a relationship and they still have some kind of relationship that they're trying to figure out. Which is hard since he is barely human. <laughs> <laughs> it's also important to note that this isn't, she's, at no point is she the, I, I mean, I guess she's the damsel in distress because it goes after her. 
but she's not merely his romantic interest. She's willing to pick up a gun and defend herself. Yes. And she's there. I think she's less there for a romantic subplot, though there is romance between them, and more there for us to believe that he could actually be a human. Because, like, whether he's having a panic attack in a water-filled alleyway or possibly beating up his coworkers at the police station... Or shouting nonsense into an alleyway... Or accusing the dog of knowing you saw it. He calls the dog a dickhead in <laughs> twice in as many minutes. Because the dog saw it, and he just won't tell him yeah. what's going on. So, okay, he's doing all this crazy shit. You could get to the point where it's too much, where you're like, well, this isn't a human. You know, this isn't even a comic book human. There's no way this is a character I can identify with. And what Kim Cattrall's character does is remind us, like, A, that he used to be normal, but yeah. weirdly enough seeing his partner get eaten or he doesn't see him get eaten but seeing his partner die yeah. very suddenly has had an effect on him yeah. and trying to catch this thing has had an effect on him and B that he could have a life after this that he's not just going to be a crazy person eating chocolate and coffee forever yeah. that he could have something if he can move on and I think all that's very important and then she's charming on top of that and then she turns out to be tough. I think at first she's as scared as anyone else. Yeah. But then when it comes down to it, it's like, well, I mean, I got to do something. I gotta, I'm going to do what I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course she's beautiful. And um, I just think, she, again, it's a very male movie. She's not given as much to do as I would like. But, she's, but what she does is good. She's far more developed than the nerdy sidekick character. But I love the nerdy sidekick character. Yeah, but I thought he died like twice and he just like came back with, with no explanation. No, there is an explanation. I'm saying, the one time he gets shot and blown out a window, and then he's down there like, oh, thank God for bulletproof vests. It's like, dog, you fell out a third-story window after getting shot. I love it that he sees him the next day, because Rucker Harris convinced he's dead, and he's like, you're alive? And he's like, yeah. You never heard of a bulletproof vest? Like, you're an idiot. Yeah, like, of course I'm alive. But, okay, but here's what I like about that character. At first, he exists to be the rational, the, the reminder that we're in a real, here you guys got to understand. Nothing about the world that we're in feels real. You know, Rucker Hauer is insane. London is covered in water. All the other cops are just mad at Rucker Hauer all the time. Yeah. There's no one to remind you that there's still an actual world out there. Yeah. Until this guy. He's overeducated. He's whatever, whatever. And he's trying to insert civility into the fucking chaos of Rucker Hauer's life, which is a, a stock character. That's a trope. Yeah. But then he fucking sees this thing. Like, he sees it, sees it, for real. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's drinking coffee and eating chocolate. And, I thought and that was so corny. I loved it. I fucking loved it. Because uh, it is reorienting us to be like, okay, Rucker Hauer is actually our center. Rucker Hauer is the only person here who's living the way they should. Because there's a, there's a fucking demon monster eating people's hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is trying to be like, I don't know, something's going on. It's real weird. It's weird. This thing that's happening is weird. I mean, they, they get imprints of the teeth of the creature, and everyone just acts like, must be some mistake. And only Rucker Howard's like, do when you, you see it, do you not fucking see these are teeth? Are you looking at this fucking thing? It's like, it, it's this giant set of jaws, and they're like... <laughs> so the idea that, it's not that Rucker Howard needs to clean up his act. It's not that he needs to be less crazy. It's that the rest of the world needs to get a clue that, that this is real. Rutger Howard's insanity is the only sane response to right. an insane world. And I kind of like 
Um, the only part I'll say, okay, I agree with you, was corny is at a certain point when he finally accepts that Rucker Hauer is right, which takes longer than it probably should. Suddenly he starts having insights into like all the occult. There's all this symbolism that the demon thing is leaving when it kills people. Which in and of itself is actually kind of fascinating. No, that part's great. It's just he suddenly starts putting pieces together in a way. Now that he's crazy, like Rucker Hauer, he suddenly makes connections. That was a little bit corny, but the idea that like he it's not that Rucker Hauer is suddenly gonna realize like he should also have a suit on. It's that this guy's gonna become more of an animal i like that and i like him with him i and again everything i'm describing if you are a fan of metal herland and you're like man so scary guy in a leather duster has a nerdy sidekick and a hot girlfriend who's also tough and then they end up in a final battle with a weird creature that sounds a lot like metal herland yeah that's what i'm telling you man (laughs) so it's fucking if you like those sorts of late 80s early 90s weird comics set in a dystopian future with a detective dude that's what this is and there i I will put to you even the way it's filmed to me the framing of it is so comic book the way the action is is so comic book like the creature running past the hanging plastic sheets felt like a very comic moment there's a moment where uh Camp Control is running along a subway car and the creature puts its, its fingers hands. through the roof and drags. I was like, that's straight out of a comic book, man. Like, yeah. And again, I'm not saying there was a source material because it doesn't seem like there is, but the guy who made this had an aesthetic in mind, which is... Oh, yeah. And granted, not all of it works. Oh, well, I'll get to why not all of it works. But I, I think if, if you are into that sort of weird, gritty, sci-fi, cyberpunk comic book. This movie gives you all of that. Now, Let me, does this, it all work? Mm, this guy not. is the guy who... I'm sorry. This movie didn't star Tony Milam. Tony Milam directed it, and he also directed The Burning. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Because I was like, the guy who we're talking about is so British, I couldn't imagine him being in Yeah, that's Burning. Alistair Duncan. Yeah. You didn't like him. I thought he was all right. No, I mean, he's fine, but he's a fucking jerk off. Yeah. Not all the movie works, though, because here's the deal. They don't have a huge budget, and in order for the film to maintain this kind of tension, I mean, they're in danger the whole movie. It's not like we're ramping up until the big thing we're in danger. From the beginning of the movie, this thing could eat them. Like, they are in serious danger the entire movie. And the film is not capable of maintaining that level of tension the whole time. It does a really piss poor job of ratcheting up the tension by playing a human heartbeat every time this thing gets near. And that's how, like, it's like Rudger Howard's like spider sense. And instead of him being like, uh, in, in, when you want to ratchet up the tension, you want to do it in degrees. Rudger Hauer instead responds by going into full-blown fucking frenzies of just like, we got to get out of here. It's nearby. And that doesn't make, that doesn't ratchet up tension. That makes you just afraid right away. Um, so it, it doesn't really do a great job of, of, of creating and sustaining and like an atmosphere of dread uh, until the very end when they actually descend down into the sewers to fight this thing. Most of the movie is just like um, like a chase like one long chase scene, uh, except the scene when you think Kim Cattrall's getting attacked in the shower. Sure, that was that that was good, but it only gets really I would say creepy 
in the hospital scene with the plastic things and then in the end when they actually yeah. fight it. Yeah, I mean, I will say for a movie with heart eating and an actual demon, slick demon monster, it's not that horror-y. horror-y. Uh, it doesn't feel like a horror movie except for certain moments. Now, obviously, it's influenced by horror, but you could make a stronger case of it being like a sci-fi cyberpunk thing mm-hmm. um, that is influenced in strong ways by certain kinds of horror films. Um, and I, all that is to say, I don't think that's an intentional genre choice. I think the director, though, clearly he has experience making horror films. Yeah, he made the burning. He doesn't, or maybe, maybe it's maybe I'm imputing an intention. I shouldn't. Maybe it's more like. Um, the film is trying to balance out a feeling of horror and being chased and being hunted and stalked with like a fun action thing. Okay. And it can't do both. No, it can't. Um, I would say a movie like that succeeds in that would be the original Terminator. That's what I'm saying. I think this movie is very much influenced by something like Terminator, but it's trying to do it in a more whimsical, fun way, which I very appreciate. Yeah. But it doesn't always work. You also don't get the feeling, like, in the Terminator, you have this idea that off-screen at any given time, the Terminator is always relentlessly figuring out a way to get to them. It is always moving towards them. It is always trying to find Sarah Connor and kill her. In this movie, there's no sense of this creature when it's off-screen, you know, going after Rudger Hauer. It's just like hanging out in the sewer with its rats... You know, doing cool sewer shit. Eating more hearts. Eating more hearts. I mean, part of the limitation here, too, is the sets. We're in the same alleyway the whole fucking movie. They just shoot it from a different angle, and you're supposed to be in a different part of London. Yes. But, like, we have we uh, we have the police station, which is a pretty good set. Yeah. But we've just got the police station. We've got the same outdoor area we filled with water. We've got one drive through London that we keep recycling <laughs> as stock footage. And then we've got the... Sewers where they have the show off with the creature, the the uh, face off with the creature, or whatever the final yeah. showdown, and that that's it. That, Rutger Hauer's apartment. Those are all the se- and even Rutger Hauer's apartment though was probably in the same building as the police station. It was probably just the sewer. <laughs> yeah, right. No. But you know what I mean. Like it's not. There's not that much. There. I will say there's a great cameo by Michael J. Pollard as the rat catcher. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yes, I dug that yes, a lot. yes. Uh, and also, um, what's his name, Pete. Possible. He, I like him in it. He's the. He's good in everything. He's the guy who knows Rucker Howard's an asshole. And he's not going to let him go. Yeah, he's the guy who's had enough of Rucker Howard's shit. He's like the other cop who's like, I'm sick of your shit, Stone. Shit. Um, I think, and I mean this both as a clear out assessment of the quality of this movie, and as a kind of compliment. This movie could get a remake. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know that anyone would. I'm not saying this will get a remake because I don't think anyone cares. But if you took this movie and you could find a reasonable replacement for Rucker Hauer and a reasonable replacement for Kim Cattrall and then gave it six times the budget, I don't know. Yeah. Just gave it an actual budget where they could actually get a larger scope of a world. This could be a great movie. Yeah. It could be an, a, a stellar movie. I think all two of the original fans of the movie would go see it. It's you and me. I think that you could sell it, too. But the problem is that no one... Again, we only remake things that already did well. Yeah. <laughs> we don't remake things that didn't do well at all that were just limited by what they could do. I mean, there are lots of things. I could actually critique this movie on 
all kinds of ways of limitations that aren't its fault. It doesn't have the budget to do more with that monster. Like, no. The fact that we get something as innovative as the claw going through the roof of the subway, that's actually a pretty good event, a uh, practical effect for a movie of this I mean, low. Even that looks... For this low budget, this movie is a step above the Giver, man. Like, this is not... This is a Cinemax budget movie. I may, may or may not agree with that statement. I'm just saying, dude. Like, again... We had fun with this. I'm not saying this to shit on the movie. This is a fun movie. No, I had a blast with this. What I'm saying is I think this movie's actually a step below the Giver. Oh, sure, 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 sure. That's fine, but I, I'm saying that to say uh, I think they do a pretty good job with what they have, which yeah. is not much. I mean, the, the outfit is a cool mask, and then everything else is just duct tape. And then even the claws... When you see the picture of the claw on Rucker Howard's head, you think, oh, that's awesome. During the actual movie, it's so obviously human hand with weird things taped on the end that doesn't quite work because I can't yeah. move it right. The picture looks scary, man, but it doesn't. So, I mean, I hate to say it. I would CGI a lot of this monster. I, I would. Yeah. I, I, You know, I'm not a big CGI person, but I think you CGI the monster, you practical effect all the, you know, ripping this and exploding that and doing whatever. Those can all be practical. Remake this movie and make Javier Botet the monster. Yeah, that's fine, too. Point being is that I think the movie does pretty good with what little budget it has. But in order for the script to work as it's written, it has to have a little more tension and excitement, and it can't get there. It just doesn't have it. Yeah. You What you really just have is Rucker Howe being crazy. <laughs> Kim Cattrall being charming and a couple of upsetting moments. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I kind of like the head, the British, you know, his the guy who's in charge of him. Alistair Duncan? No, that's his butt. Isn't Alistair Duncan the buddy? Alistair Duncan's, Alistair Duncan's the, the buddy, buddy, yeah. No, the, the... the Oh, the cop that's in charge of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Get in here right now! Yeah. Like, he's got that whole vibe down. All the scenes with them, I like a lot, especially because Rucker Howard's so, like... I don't give a fuck about yeah. you. <laughs> I could be dead tomorrow. What the fuck do I care what you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that stuff I think is 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 great, but that should be the framework onto which then you hang these action set pieces. And no action set piece works very well in this movie. No, I, I agree. Some of them are serviceable, and, and I think there's ideas to them. Even like the idea of electrocuting the thing. That's a cool idea. Yeah. That scene plays like community theater. It plays like a BBC production. Yeah. This is a step, I, since you said it's a step below the Giver, this is a step above the BBC Neverwhere. Did you ever watch Neverwhere? No. So, you, you know, Neil Gaiman has a Neverwhere book. I think it's just the one book. It might be a series of books. I don't know. Yeah. The BBC did, like, their version of it. And it's bad? You would get the same visual thrill from a radio show that you got from this TV show. Okay. It's real bad. It's, like, next level bad. I, I mean, again... I like the book, so I watched it anyway. I was yeah. like, yeah, it's fine. But like, if nothing action related in it works at all, like not even minimal choreography, like they couldn't even get a later Chuck, like a like a Chuck Norris TV show level fight on this BBC. Oh drama. my god! And same in this movie though. There's no. Okay, Howard doesn't fight anyone. I mean, no, he just like shoots it and then rips its heart out. Yeah. They just can't. They can't get any. I mean, I bring up the claw through the subway thing because even though it didn't look great, it at least had a little bit of like 
dynamic tension to it. Yes. In a way that him just stomping through some water on the street just doesn't quite have it. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. So, I mean, he pushes a lot of people out of his way while he's like, look out! Yells a lot. And he's Shook. holding a big, scary-looking gun, I guess, but I'm making it sound like it's bad. I had fun with this movie. <laughs> I really did, and it's something that I could have pictured. I didn't see this when I was a kid, but I could have pictured this coming on on cable and really getting into it. That's how I saw it. Yeah. Like that scene at the end when 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 he rips the monster's heart out and there's like the overdubbed screaming of its victims. Like yeah. just, just fucking stuck with me since I was a little kid. Yeah. So I guess that's it about split second. I mean, look. Eat chocolate. Drink coffee. Drink coffee. Go crazy. Look out for rats. Freak the fuck out. Run through the sewers, man. Yeah. That's what life's and, all for. And we, we sort of glossed it, but I do want to point out that uh, this movie suggests a bunch of things in a very sci-fi, over-the-top way that are basically real. London very literally will be underwater within our lifetime. Like that's just Within the next decade. It's just a fact. It's just a fucking fact. And it's so funny watching this movie, and I'm sure when this came out in the 90s, people watching this like, climate change, yeah. whatever guy. And I'm watching this now going, oh, shit. We, uh, had, we, we had our shot and we missed it. Oh, God damn it. Okay. All right. Goodbye, London. Can't wait till whatever demons come out of London yeah, whatever, sewers. Whatever, flood, whatever the floods, you know, wash out from the depths. Oh my god! So that was split second. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to XLVACX. The, my microphone just fell down. Um, <laughs> just one quick thing before we go. Uh, on Monday, March eighteenth, at the Rotunda in Philadelphia, we will be hosting a screening of Al White's Starfish. Presented by Cinepunks and Hard Business, there will be a Q&A afterwards with Al himself, hosted by yours truly. I would greatly appreciate if you could make it out. Yeah. It'll be a good time. Yeah. It's $10. Yeah. It's on a Monday night. Yeah. Just come hang out. Yeah. Come see a fucking cool movie. Tell a friend. Get fucking emotional. Tell your coworker. Tell your friend. Take the person you've been, you've been wanting to ask out on a date. This is the perfect opportunity. You'd be like, yeah, hey, I know that guy up on stage. No, not the charming British guy, the fucking pudgy weirdo with the fucking dumb tattoos. I know that guy. Stop it. So come come make that happen. March 18th, the Rotunda in Philadelphia. Be there, be square. It's $10. Uh, for more episodes of this show and episodes of other great podcasts like Cinepunks, Black Sun Dispatches, and I don't even know what else is on there. Anymore. Tomb of Ideas. Tomb of Ideas. You can go to www.dis... www.cinepunks.com There's also information there how you can subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Yeah. If you're on iTunes, give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating. Yeah. Write a review, and we'll fucking read that shit. Do we have any new reviews for you to read? I didn't check. You son of a god. And always remember to rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. Also, um... You can follow us on the social medias too. It's the real horror biz six six six. It's not the real horror biz. It's just the horror biz six six six. It's the real horror. Yeah, it's the horror biz six six six. I'm glad you said that because I totally thought it was the real. For yeah, me. it's just the horror biz six 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 on Instagram. Were there any new reviews? There was not. Oh god. Damn. Uh, the horror biz six 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 on. No, it's just the horror biz on Instagram. The horror biz six 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 on Twitter. The horror biz at gmail dot com, and Cinepunks is doing a thing. On yeah. Spotify, where we're releasing, oh yeah, track or playlists. I released a playlist today. Justin Lore's smooth sounds for the end of the world. Yeah, you should go check it out. I made a playlist themed around the end of the world. If you really like like black metal and Johnny Cash, you'll like this playlist. 
Don't get turned off by the fact that my man, this motherfucker here, started off with the Earth Crisis, Breathe the Killer song. No, I started it off with... It's too early. You end with Breathe the Killers. You you lull people in with the the bangers and that you have later on. And then somewhere towards the end you go, by the way, I also like Breathe the Killers. Bam! Fuck you. I like Breathe the Killers. What do you want? <laughs> Thank you for listening. Toby Hubert and Direct Poltergeist. <laughs>